0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. If you're like me, quarantined, locked up. <laughs> Not locked up, but that's what it feels like, right? Um, there's so many challenges and, and obstacles. I have received so many messages from people feeling like a burden, uh, feeling like they're isolated, to feeling hopeless. Uh However, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you from feeling like a burden to feeling like a blessing, from feeling isolated to feeling connected, from feeling hopeless to feeling hopeful. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching and we will get through this together. With that said, let's get into the episode hello hey man hey zach how are you
1: i'm pretty good i'm in a i'm in a i'm in a uh, little bit of an up mood i've been listening to your um stand up and your and your podcast for the last half an hour
0: or so. <laughs> oh thank you what a yeah. compliment y- yeah I- are you talking to your kids in the background yeah we're all here just kind of stuck in the house
1: um and they're trying to figure out how to do school because it's Monday and all they want to do is goof around. So,
0: I, I mean, I you know it's just me and my girl. I can't imagine what it's like. You and your girlfriend, or you and your daughter? Uh, girlfriend. It's, uh, gotcha. Good, good, good. Uh, distinct uh, distinction. Um, I uh, I can't imagine what it's like to have kids, especially young kids or te- I, I like. Well, how old are your kids? First of all.
1: They are, I uh, have two daughters, they're 13 and 17. Wow. Um, so so it's not quite as challenging as folks who are stuck with, you know, kids who need a lot of attention. Um, mine are pretty self-sufficient, but they, they also want a lot of attention, which is
0: its own thing. Uh, is the attention different that they're seeking between your 13 and 17-year-old?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, the younger daughter is just... Um, she's probably the extrovert. She's just dying to be on her soccer team or be at her youth group or be with her friends at school. And the other one is much more like, I'm cool. I'm just going to go in my room and read whatever. But the, you know, we got to keep coming up with projects for the, for Mary, Mary's the younger daughter, um, and just finding ways to keep her from going, going crazy, you know, (laughs) like boredom.
0: Yeah. So what have you, you come up with? Like, you know, because I I think the challenge for a lot of parents is how do they keep their kids off of the cell phone and from in, in front of screens all day? Like what kind of things have you come up with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, I mean, we've, um, well, we built a table. I mean, we just went to Lowe's and bought some stuff and, um, and built just built a little like two by two by two table. <clears throat> and that took us four, four days or so of just kind of cutting months and measuring twice and, you know, staining wood and screwing things and learning how to saw stuff. So that was one piece. Um, she, uh, she, she can get attached to like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and the screen thing is definitely challenging unless we found, um, like ways for her to be on a screen that aren't just mind numbing, you know? Um, So she has um, a couple different sites that she can go to and really just sort of engage. um, In fact, this week, there's an organization, there's an online organization called Brain Chase. And uh, it's basically just an educational platform for kids. And they have been running a monthly challenge, but they shut it down. And then just this week, um, unleashed their quarantine edition. And so, you know, Mary jumps on and um, you know, has a couple of assignments that she has to tackle and then she unlocks a video and then it gives her a clue to a puzzle. I mean, it's stuff like that, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta remain creative. I think.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I read somewhere like, you know, even put up, putting up your Christmas tree, you know, just, yeah, <laughs> just so
1: something we never, to do. <laughs> we never took our lights down. So our lights are on uh, at night in our house. Cause you know, um, everybody's house looks the same. It's just quiet and still. And, uh, and we just have our Christmas lights on the front of our house. Chris, mostly because I was I, lazy. too
0: late. I was, lazy to pick I was about to say, Zach, why? Why y'all still got now? Do y'all do that every year? Do you just keep it up year round, or is it just this year? You're like, oh, you know what? I, just, I like the lights. No, I, I, I did. I just didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like,
1: uh, I think I'm going to leave them and just see what happens. You know, maybe, maybe they'll last another year and it'll keep me off the roof. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's that was my plan for the year.
0: Uh, Zach Brittle, I'm excited to have you on for for the listeners who don't know who you are, which uh, if you don't know, it's like you must be maybe a single or or something. I don't know. But uh, just to go over your your bio, Zach has been counseling and coaching couples for over 12 years. He is a licensed mental health counselor and certified Gottman therapist with a private practice in Seattle. He is the best-selling author of the Relationship Alphabet and the Marriage Therapy Journal as well as the co-host of the podcast Marriage Therapy Radio. His insights have been featured in the yeah, New York... Yeah, that's me. Huh?
1: <clears throat> yeah, that's right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. <laughs> I was like, listen, I was like, wow, that's pretty
0: impressive stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> that you forget. Must be, yeah, you forget. That guy must, must know some things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope so. You were in the New York Times. You're in Vanity Fair, Men's Health, Real Simple, and The Washington Post. Uh, and also you've been happily married, uh, you know, for, to Rebecca. Now, do you, do, is her, do you call her Rebecca or do, is it Becky or Becca? Like, it's, is always, it go, uh, it's a,
1: always, you know, we have, I wouldn't call them pet names, but we certainly have nicknames for each other. My favorite is, um, when we were first dating, I would call her like you just did your girl, my girl, yeah. and then that quickly morphed into grill. So my grill. Is um, her nickname. I just call her. I'll say, hey, Grill, can you come here? You know? And uh, that's... So, but no, it's Rebecca or Reb, generally. <clears throat> or McGrill.
0: Wow. And you guys have been married for 21 of 23 years. Uh, and you have two daughters, like you said. Yeah, no. 17. That
1: that line is my favorite line in my bio. It says... Yeah. Um, that's my favorite line in my bio. Because it says, um, we've been happily married for 21 out
0: of 23 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Two so, of those years were rough. You, you ain't know if y'all was gonna yeah, make it yet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were. So yeah, and then my daughters are cool. They're thirteen and seventeen, and uh, my older daughter is a professional actress. She's on TV now and again, and then the younger one is uh, she's my athlete. She's she's the um, she's like the like I said, she's the social social butterfly.
0: Wants to be with her friends or teammates, and um, you know. Running the show all the time. So isn't that fascinating that the introvert is the one who is in front of the camera, is the actress. Yeah, and the, yeah, a- the extrovert is is, uh, is is the athlete. Yeah. So which yeah. one are you? So are you more? I would assume since you're a writer, author, uh, therapist, uh, that you're you're more the introvert, and then your uh, your yep. youngest is more like your your mo- your wife.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's not you know you can't draw sort of one to one correlations in that way, but um, because I'm the I'm also the athlete, and my wife is also the the sort of the drama f- friend or drama queen. So you know you can't. <laughs>
0: uh, you you're trying to be uh, careful there. I see. I see that, Zach. <laughs> I was. I was. I was. Um,
1: no, but um, yeah, no, I'm definitely more the introvert. In fact, um, at my practice, my private practice, I see. Uh, I work basically 3 days a week. I see clients on Mondays and I go from start to finish from about 9 to 6:30. And the deal with my family is that when I get home on Monday, they get nothing from me. They don't get to ask me for help with homework. I don't I don't eat dinner if I don't want to. I'm not about to, you know, watch their show. I just I get to do whatever I want on Monday because my body just is like you know so exhausted from being with people all day
0: long. Um, I think that's important because I think a lot of people don't realize the, the toll that their job takes on them. And I think that what happens is a lot of people will go to a bar or something in between that exacerbates uh, the stress and the tension that's uh, built up throughout the day. And yeah. uh, instead of just saying, hey, I want to come straight home, however, I need some space. I need an hour. I need a half hour, um, or, or I need the whole, I need the whole evening, you know? And, think, uh, yeah. and so was that, a, was that a difficult conversation to have? Because I can, I can hear people being like, I tried that and you know, they still knock on my door or, you know, what, what was, was that an easy one? I th-
1: well, I think it was, well, first of all, it was learned, right? I mean, it was learned that I, when I got home on my days, I just wasn't present or available and so that was jarring for my family who missed me you know and and i missed them i just didn't have any energy left so i think part of it was the difficult part was the part where i wanted and they wanted more of say dad and dad wasn't able to, to give it to him so so part of what we began to do was sort of negotiate terms where i just said hey guys i just want not have it on monday but but you can totally have it on tuesday wednesday thursday i mean i'm i'm all in on those on those days but it's the, because <clears throat> because Monday is understood, I don't get in trouble, um, and they don't ask. But but Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is really the time when I have to kind of make the trade off. I have a um, I, the, another example of this very same principle is one of my client cup, couples. Their kids wanted waffles every single day, every morning. Can we have waffles? Can we have waffles? Can we have waffles? And the parents were like jeez, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't give them waffles all the time. And so they finally just decided that Tuesday was waffle day. Tuesday was waffle day. And so the kids were excited about Tuesday, And then, on, but, the, but the parents had solved for six days of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. The kids stopped asking for waffles because they knew it was coming on Tuesday. And I think just even making something less, like less of me or less waffles, actually makes the playground bigger because it frees up other sort of mental space in, in other
0: ways. Yeah, because I, I Does that think, sense? right, absolutely, because uh, a lot of it is it's not so much that they want waffles right now. It's just that they want to know that waffles are on the way, right? Yeah. Like they, Like it's almost like um, it, it, you, you kind of enjoy yourself more at a, at a party, especially like in a relationship, because you're already with somebody at a party versus like, am I going to meet somebody? And then there's that anxiety that you kind of feel. We just kind of want to know that, the train is coming versus like, is a train going to come ever? Um, that yeah. kind of thing. Or the
1: introvert is like, Oh no, I might meet somebody at this party. Am I going to have to meet yeah. somebody? At this party? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to stand in the corner. and well, no, Nobody.
0: Well, yeah. Cause I have a friend, here. uh, and, and they, and she just started dating and, um, and, and now because of the quarantine, like they're, they're living together for, uh, uh you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, they're getting to know each other a little faster than they anticipated. Mm. But, um, but even before that, they were having some troubles. And when they when they went to go talk to somebody, one of the things that was recommended is that they schedule uh, time uh, for each other, like schedule everything, like what what day they're going to go eat dinner, what day they're going to have sex, what day, uh, you know, when they're going to talk and, or just like scheduling things. And to me, that's I always thought that I think because we grew up, uh, on uh, romantic movies, Sleepless in Seattle, and uh, you know uh, 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 what women really want, and all those types of, and like the idea of scheduling things seems so unromantic and so uh, business-like that you, I think a lot of people feel like I shouldn't have to schedule things. It should just be natural. And is that is that the case, or you know, or is the case that we we do have to set boundaries and schedule things?
1: I mean, I, I'm. I, it... If it's not natural for you to have a, uh, you know, kind of a free-flowing conversation about your stress or to have romantic sex or to have, um, you know, uh, undivided attention, then yeah, I think you do need to schedule it. I mean, the reality is we schedule things that are a priority for us. Um, When people talk to me about particularly – like sex is always one of these where people are like, I don't think we should have to schedule it. And I'm like, look, guys, it's 168 hours in a week. And you got to – sleep for x number of those you got to work for y number of those you got to work out you got to hang out with your kids you got to travel you got to commute you got to you know you've got to um, exercise you've got to and most of that stuff is scheduled like you you have breakfast in the morning you have lunch in the afternoon you have dinner in the evening usually we schedule the time we go to the gym you know usually we know when we're going to sleep and it makes sense that if say sex is a priority that you would say usually we have sex on Wednesdays and Saturdays, or usually we have sex on, you know, whatever in the morning, or we, or, or we definitely don't have sex during the week because we don't, it's too, it's too time consuming or stressful for us to try and even think about. But the weekend, you know I mean? I think, yes, there's this notion that people don't want to feel boxed into stuff, but I think we all know what happens when you don't make things a priority. They, they fall off the, they fall off the radar and that's, that's where that's where it gets problematic, I think.
0: Can, can, uh, is there something that uh, uh, what's been the biggest challenge in, in your relationship that that you were like, oh, we have to prioritize this outside of you setting boundaries with uh, coming home and, and making space for the for the family or making space for yourself so that you can make space for the family?
1: You mean what's the big been the biggest challenge for Rebecca and I, you mean? Yeah. Ab- yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, we. Um, if I think back to say those two sort of rough years, um, and they were they were they were I think they were like number eight and number eighteen or something like that. We were pretty far apart, but they're pretty, um, pretty, pretty much three hundred sixty-five days of some um, event or action that caused us both to feel like we needed to. Gosh, I, I'm going to accidentally use this phrase "shelter in place." Um, and, and, and by that I mean just sort of in, into our own like take care of ourself place um, and so we we would feel, pat ourselves on the back for being great parents we would pat ourselves on the back for being great neighbors we would pat ourselves on the back for being you know um, you know the kinds of couples that other people wanted to hang out with but once the once we were sort of into our own or once sort of the camera was off we both kind of hunkered down and I think we just stopped paying attention to, to each other for for a while. Um, And I don't know if that was self-preservation or if that was just um, sort of, you know, I guess maybe it was self-preservation. But the thing that's coming into my mind right now is there's a principle um, inside the Gottman method. And if if you're not familiar, I can tell you a little bit about what that is, but um, which is called um, it's called turning toward versus turning away. Couples that turn toward one another they tend to be healthier and couples that turn away from each other. It's not rocket science. They tend to struggle. And I think we spent about a year just kind of turning away, um, from one another, um, in those two cases. And, and then we'll still do it from time to time, but, but we're smarter about learning how to go, Hey, do we need to check in? Like, is there something we need to, you know, repair or revisit, uh, just to make sure that we're staying on track, which, you know, this, this, uh, sort of quarantine environment for a lot of couples is going to, it's going to really challenge that because they're not used to spending 168 hours a week with each other. Um, you usually get a break of at least 40, you know?
0: Yeah. You gotta go to work or or school or, uh, or two, two jobs. Sometimes it's 80 hours. Um, and, and that that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's part of the natural cycle where, um, you know, you give so much to your job or to your relationship. And and then there's a moment where uh, you realize you've kind of lost yourself or you, you 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 need time to evaluate. And sometimes we don't always know how to communicate that. You know, we're, we're not aware of where we are. Cause I, I, I think we go into these relationships with shoulds. Like I should, I should always, you know, be there for my family and I should always uh, give everything. And I, I think that we forget that uh, we, uh, when the plane lands, like the, the, like you, there's a time to repair, as you said, and, and revisit the values and and the purpose and the mission and 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 who you are and what direction you want to go as a person. Yeah, and it's interesting that you
1: use the plane metaphor because just as you were talking, there is this piece where you know we're encouraged to put our own oxygen mask on first, right? Like right. get get your oxygen mask so that you can breathe, and that when you do, be that become the helper or the resource. You can come out of your, you know, sort of your, your best self. And I think when you're when you don't do that, then, um, you know, it, you're not really. And that's kind of what my kids were experiencing on Monday nights. Right. I just wasn't I was like kind of on autopilot and it wasn't wasn't fun for anybody. And so we just decided I'm not going to worry about it.
0: So let's talk about your book, The Relationship Alphabet. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I've done some, uh, I was, I was, I was, you know, fiddling around on the internet as, as you were, ch- uh, you know, looking at my stuff, I was looking at your stuff and, um, and one of the chapters that people that seemed to really resonate with people was, uh, the, the, the letter E for empathy. Um, mm-hmm. can you, can you talk about that? Because I, I am just, I have a master's in counseling myself and, <laughs> and even with that education and that background and and having worked with couples and and inmates it, it's still a challenge to be empathetic can you uh can you talk to us about what that chapter is about and what empathy is
1: yeah i mean <clears throat> it's funny cuz i wrote the book um it was sort of on commission for the gottman institute they um you know he john gottman is kind of the world's Leader in sort of relationship research, and a lot of his content is very um, scientific. And so, I just started. They asked me to kind of write through the alphabet about different parts of the research that um, that maybe people could understand in an easier in an easier way than than a, like maybe than a not that a person would understand. And so, I wrote. I started it. <clears throat> excuse me. Hold on one second. I drink a glass of water. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, um, you know, a lot of relationship books, they, they want to talk about all the things that, that make a relationship good. Um, but the first chapter is, for me, is um, was arguing. And the second one was betrayal. And the third one was criticism and contempt. I really spent the first part of the book um, kind of focusing on the negative, And I was so delighted to get to E – I think D is even defensiveness. So D E was the first chapter where I was like, Hey, you know, there's a lot of reasons that relationships are challenging, but there's a magic, there's a magic pill. There's like a magic formula and it is empathy. I think it's the ability to say, I don't necessarily know what's going on here, but I'm willing to make room for, for that, which I don't know. And essentially when you're in a relationship, the thing you don't know is the mind of your partner. Um, they're going, you know, who was it? Um, maybe it was Buddha or Gandhi said something like, be kind to everyone because you don't know what kind of battle they're facing or something like we have these assumptions that our partners, you know, are, uh, or, or, or rather sometimes we drop into some certainty about why our partners do, does what they do. Like, why would you, of course you do Like, why would you do that? That's so selfish or that's so weird or that's so st- unlike me basically. But when you can learn how to practice empathy um, it's actually kind of fun because it takes you into a place of creativity. It takes you in a place of connection. And, you know, this is not a natural skill for me. It's certainly not in my, in my day to day life, but I've gotten really good at it in my office. Um, because I don't have any, I don't have anything to lose in my office. Um, and I get to go, I just get to look at people and go, wow, that sounds really strange. That sounds like something I don't, I don't have anything idea about. Can you tell me more about that? And, and the, 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 the invitation to be known by another, particularly someone that loves you is really powerful. And I think that's the only thing empathy is. It's just really kind of trying to figure out as much as possible, how to climb inside the mind of your, of your partner and figure out, um, you know what it is that makes them tick. Um, so that's, that's my cliff notes anyway on empathy.
0: Where do people usually, um, uh, go wrong. And what I mean is, a lot of times you'll hear in a relationship uh the communication uh sucked or they they just don't listen. what are people really saying like and 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 because uh, i I feel like you know it's one thing to say, hey, let's climb into the other person's mind and and tell me more about that, but is there there has to be more to it than that right um in terms of really trying to understand the other person
1: I mean sort of i mean i know that my wife dude i'm really sorry i don't know what's going on with the frog in my throat but i'm assuming you can not make me sound like a
0: frog (laughs) you know it's it's, i completely understand it's that it's that time of year allergies are kicking up it's raining here and i know it rains a lot there in (laughs) seattle where are you Uh, i'm in san diego
1: i gotcha yeah. Well, of course, every time my throat tickles or I cough or anything, I'm like, do I have this virus? Am I like, am I going to die anytime soon? But, um, <clears throat> but I think I'm pretty safe. We've been pretty, we, we were Washington as you know, was kind of, uh, kind of an early, early battleground for the virus and everybody was starting to change their behavior, you know, months ago or beginning right. of about a month ago. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but okay. To your question about empathy, um, I do think that there is something again, kind of magical about letting some uh, ha- having the experience that someone else knows what you're what you're going through. Yeah. And is it as simple as knowing what's going on in their mind? Maybe not. I mean, I think you have to you have to find a degree of authenticity. Um, it's not like I can just be like, "What's on your mind?" You know. Mm. Um, and now I know that thing, and I'm and I feel more connected. But I know that when my wife has the experience of me slowing down and sort of surrendering my own agenda long enough to to really hear what she's saying, um, it's powerful both for her to experience, and it also empowers me to be able to talk about what is on my mind, right? Like um, People aren't all that interested in hearing what you have to say if they don't think that you're interested in what they have to say. And so um, there's a little bit of a sort of a tactical skill in it, but I do think that um, when again, you've had the experience of really being understood and not necessarily even agreed with or validated, but just understood that can go a long way. Cause my wife will explain to me what she's feeling and I'll go, okay, all right, I get it. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to, going to immediately do the thing that she wants or show up in the way that she needs. But I, um, but it, I think it does create the connection, a connection that's really critical.
0: You know, I had a, it's fascinating that you, you talked about, um, First of all, I love that you said surrender your own agenda, and then be interested in interesting. And but the part I, I want to latch on to is uh, when you said when when you when we feel understood, that goes a long way. I had a sex worker uh, on a, a, a episode. Uh, her name was uh, M. I, I forget what I called the ty- uh, the episode, but it's a, it's like maybe fifty episodes ago. But anyway. I asked her like, "Why do most men come to her?" And she said, "A lot of them are married and uh, or in relationships." And she said, "Most men don't even come to her for sex; they come to her for understanding." Mm-hmm. And she said, "They almost just have the sex as a a way to out of like out of a, like an expectation of like, if I'm would a sex worker mm-hmm. have to have sex and it, it kind of." um uh it it makes them being vulnerable uh it, it 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 helps them to deal with the vulnerability of just really wanting to be understood and and so it was powerful that you said that just now like how understanding so what does can you um i i, I guess like cuz i you know one of the things when i i, I went to marriage counseling before with uh, a with an ex girlfriend, and and she said that you know you you almost have to practice being a detective, and that helped make it make sense for uh-huh. me. You know, like a detective uh-huh. isn't isn't doing a talking; <coughs> it's not it's not coming in with their own agenda. It's really just asking questions, really listening, paying attention to your body language, uh, and just probing. And 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 really with that, tell me more about that. And they're truly interested because they want to solve the case. They, they want to find out who committed the crime and get that person off the street. And it really changed my perspective on, on how I communicate. Do I always get it right? No, because it, sometimes you resort to your nine year old self and you're just like, I don't care what, you know. And, uh, and, but for the most part, uh, it's, it's, it's helped me to grow as a, as a communicator, uh, I believe. Yeah. So there is something strong yeah. in that, in being empathetic
1: yeah i it's actually my favorite metaphor um, <clears throat> when couples come in and they want to meet with a therapist they generally even if they don't know it, they have an idea of what they really want. they might want a referee they might want a judge, a coach, a sherpa um, a priest, something and I let them kind of tell me what they what they're looking for and i and I will straight up say I'm, I'm not interested in being a judge or a, or a referee that's not a role that I enjoy playing at all um <clears throat> The role that I enjoy playing, though, is detective. It's actually my absolute favorite because I think you're you're not wrong. They come in and they think there's been a well, something's some some mystery has happened, right? Something has gone amiss or awry, or something's gone missing, right? Like um, intimacy or 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 passion or compassion. Um, And where did it go? You know, and and in a good any good detective story, you know that you're watching a movie or reading a book. They're gonna throw sort of three or four red herrings that you, the author is before you really get kind of get to it. Right. And I think a really good detective is someone who's patient enough to kind of go, Oh, you think that's your problem, but that's actually not your problem. Um, or you, or that, that, that looks like it might've been the place that it went awry, but, um, I think you're missing the thing that happened right before that. And it's really, it's really cool, especially when you can teach your clients to do that for themselves. um, then um then you get that experience that every detective gets when they when they sort of crack the case. They get to kind of go home and put their feet up on their desk and, you know, um wait for the you know wait for the next uh you know damsel in distress to walk through the door and and start the whole thing all over again. So
0: it, it it's so true. I was just reading this book uh and I, I did a, a few episodes about the neuroscience of uh suicidality. And it was saying one of the things that people who are, hmm. are suicidal experience is that the uh they misread faces and expressions they they see mm. a neutral face and uh interpret it as uh a negative face or you know that person uh that person doesn't like them or mad at them or um uh dislikes them or whatever and and and, and then they also don't don't even register happy faces they don't they don't register mm. the the joys and stuff and I, and i and i bring that up because you know um when we misread things and we just assume what we, we what we've seen or what we've heard, we we are less empathetic. Instead of asking that person or talking to that person or getting to know that person and finding out uh, who they really are and what they really feel, we we just kind of go off of our own assumptions uh, about the body language, about what was said, and 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 then we we go off and running, and sometimes that has. Uh, dire consequences or we, it causes us to react or say the wrong things. Um, but you brought up compassion. Can you talk to us about uh, what, what's the difference between compassion and empathy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as you were talking about um, sort of the neuroscience of suicide allergy, I was asking myself this question about, do you... Um, <clears throat> Do you or did the book hint at whether or not that was sort of chicken or egg mentality, right? Like do people's, people, um, people's brains cause them to look at neutral faces and see the negative? Or do they look at people's neutral faces and make an assumption that – do you know what I mean when I'm saying chicken and egg? Like is it is it that they can't do it or that they choose to do it?
0: Does that make sense? Uh, right. Absolutely. I I think what happens is it's a combination of, of the two. According to the book, there's a there's a physiological predisposition in terms of genetic coding and cortisol levels and and, and inflammation um, that where because you you're already kind of inflamed internally, uh, you you tend to see the world a little darker and and bleaker than what it is. And then what happens is because you never uh, become curious enough to to mm-hmm. explore and find out uh, it's you're, it's just that confirmation bias, right? Because then when someone uh, does get upset or or it, it, things turn out the way you you as dark as you thought it would, you remember those and and not realizing had you really been curious enough and been a detective about all the other instances, you would have found that. Uh, in most cases, uh, people are happy or want to smile or, or would enjoy your company or would want to connect with you. Does that make sense?
1: Totally, and and it, it's actually got got to the heart, I think, of what your question is. It's kind of this idea of the difference between um, <clears throat> empathy and compassion. I think compassion is so. If we if we take what you just described over into a marriage, right, and then the marriage is. It's stale. It's struggling, or the relationship is stale and struggling. And um, something neutral happens, like, my oh gosh, it doesn't even matter what. I, I, I drop. Uh, uh, I, I accidentally knock over a box, a box of pasta. If 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 I have compassion for myself, for my relationship, for my partner, I don't go into that darker place, right? I go into the, um, oh man, I'm so clumsy. But if I don't – and again, if I don't have compa- – if it's my partner who knocks it over and I don't have compassion um, I'm, or I'm not cultivating compassion, I might be like, what the hell did you just do? Like what's wrong with you? You know, And again, totally neutral action but governed by <clears throat> governed by the um, sort of the re- – the, the, like whatever your brain is doing, whatever your brain is neuro- – like the neuroscience in your brain is doing. And I think that active compassion – brings you like, has you looking for the positive, right? Has you looking for the things that are going well around your world and the things that are going well in your relationship, the things that are like that are easy to celebrate about your partner. Um, and that's, that's, I think you use the word, you're not curious enough or use the phrase you're not curious enough. I think being compassionate requires curiosity. And so if empathy is sort of understanding or seeking to understand the mind of your, of your partner or, or sort of the motivation or the sort of the, the soul of your partner. Compassion I think is sort of the proactive part of really calling out this, calling out the good, um, and calling out the things that are worthy of celebration. Um, because that protects you from the neutral stuff. And in fact, it protects you from the negative stuff because, you know, even if, even if Rebecca grabbed a box of pasta and was frustrated and threw it on the ground, um, because, uh, you know, me, me having c- cultivated compassion for her and for our relationship means I'm more likely to like give her a hug than I am to ask her what the hell's wrong, you know, or something like that. So I think um, I think that's how I would answer your question about the difference between empathy and compassion.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, when, when it rains, we don't get mad at nature because it's yeah. raining. We just yeah. we embrace it. We accept it. And, uh, and, and of course, I mean, uh, maybe we do get mad if we had something planned outside, like a wedding or something major, but uh, we don't hold on to it. We, we acknowledge it and then let it go and, and, and figure out what the, uh, how to manage it and, and, and work around it.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I've never heard that phrase before, but you're right. We don't get mad at nature.
0: Um. What, in, in terms of the book, what, what uh, led you to write the, this book? Uh, what 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 was it? Was you just woke up? Were you taking a shower? And then you're like, oh, I got a, I got this idea. Or was it a conversation you had? What was all the impetus yeah. for this?
1: Well, if you don't mind, I'll tell you about the second book, which is um, the first book. Again, was commissioned by the institute by the Gottman Institute. Um, again, because they wanted to connect with sort of the I don't want to call them millennials, but sort of the younger crowd, um, and. So the alphabet I wrote over the course of a year, I wrote an article every other week, um, and they promoted it through their uh, social media platforms. And then when we were done, and there was a book, that's how that book got written. The new one which actually, I just published this at the beginning of this year. Um, it's called the Marriage Therapy Journal. And um, that is more of a kind of a, I had this idea in the shower kind of moment, because what I found um, is that, um, therapy doesn't really work. I don't think therapy is all that effective couples work. Um, and so when couples use therapy to work on their relationship, it's successful. They might also use a podcast. They might also use a conference. They might also use a book that they read. They might also use, I mean, whatever, but really the responsibility is on the client or the couple. And I found that, um, a lot of my couples weren't doing their homework. And they would come in and they would say, and I would say, Hey, did, how did you think about that assignment I gave you over, over the week? I'm like, Oh yeah, well, we forgot to do it. And I'm kind of like, why, why did you forget to do it? That's, that seems like a giant waste. Like, what is your, what's, what's wrong? You know?" And then I just realized like, what if I made it easier? And so I just started kind of thinking about what it's like to do therapy with me and what parts are, are consistent enough that I can put them in writing and so the new book, the Marriage Therapy Journal, it's like eight sessions that I wrote um, that are just designed for couples to sit down and kind of think about um, kind of a progression through their through their relationship issues and then find ways that they can think about them differently. Uh, one of my favorite experiences is when a couple says, huh, I-, I never thought about it like that before. I mean, that that's what's required because nothing changes if nothing changes. And so the, the new book is... Um, is really just me trying to figure out, like, how do I take m- sort of my belief that 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 the responsibility belongs to the couple and then make it easier for them um, in a way that was fun for me? I enjoy writing. I, I enjoy generating. I've got a fantastic designer that made it look really, really cool. And um, so I'm really excited about it. And, um, yeah, and I hope it'll be of help to people.
0: What's the, the biggest feedback that you've gotten from people regarding the marriage therapy journal?
1: Yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's like, huh, I never really thought about it like this before. Or, um, um, there's a lot of, um, I think my tone and style is generally pretty invitational. And I think I really enjoy when, um, you know, I had uh, several couples kind of report back that they, they feel invited to think about their relationship in a different way. And that's always my goal. And, um, that seems to be like, I'm just really glad that that's where, It's been landing for people because I think there's a lot of texts that tell you sort of what you're supposed to think, or if you think like this, then it's going to work for you. And, and, um, this one is more like, well, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about this thing that you, that you think about? Um, and I mean, there's a lot of white space in it. I mean, it's written so that you will write in it. Um, and I think people who've been using it have really found some freedom to think in totally different categories.
0: You know, the, the writing is so therapeutic, and I, I feel like it, uh, it might be coming a, a lost art with all the, the texting and, and, and uh, you know, online stuff. But uh, it, when, you, when you put things down on paper, uh, no matter what emotion, whether you're dealing with anger, anxiety, you're trying to figure out your relationship, that's when you start to get the aha moments and the insights, and you start to see patterns. And, um, and and things start to to come together for you. So it absolutely makes sense that uh, a marriage therapy journal is what people want, because I remember even when I went to couples therapy, I was doing the homework and then uh, my girl at the time, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, was not uh, doing a homework. And then we get into these uh, 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 arguments and. I'd be like, hey, I'm supposed to, you're supposed to do this and I'm supposed to do that. And I'm doing my part. And she's like, well, I forgot that part. And I'm like, yeah, because you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not doing the yeah. homework. You're not, you, so you don't remember. And so now we, we've gone from arguing to me counseling you on, you know, what we both uh, were uh, in the room for. So, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's really yeah.
1: tough when you don't have, when you don't have uh, two partners who are bought into the same same agenda. And I don't mean they, uh, there's always something that both people want. There's something they both want. Um, and it might be as simple as they both want to go to bed feeling more connected and less sad. Like, and if, and if they can, if when couples can't figure out what it is that they both want, it becomes really challenging to make any real progress. Um, and it sounds like the situation you're describing, right? Like you guys didn't really have a real shared vision of what you want to the relationship to accomplish.
0: It's true. And, and you know, we would sit down once a week. I, we would have like a weekly meeting to go over our values and our mission and, and things like that. And um, I, I just think that, but also think that people learn differently. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily fault her for not doing the work. I, I think that uh, for me, I'm naturally a writer and a note taker. So uh-huh. it was no, and a reader. So that to me was easy for her. She's not so much of a reader. Uh, she, she prefers like more videos and, and, and um, talking to people and hearing it that way. So I, 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 you know, going back to empathy and compassion, I understand that the, the mode of which the information was coming in and that we had to review it was more conducive to my strength, played to my strengths naturally. Um mm-hmm. and I don't know of you know, it's just like with your with your daughter, your thirteen year old daughter, it's like the project for her and that kept her engaged was building something and so she could make use of her energy and mm-hmm. her hands and where that, you know, giving your giving her a book wouldn't fly too well. You know, she that's gonna be tossed in the trash or, you know, left on page three uh forever. So I, I think that um the a uh, marriage therapy journal is is great. For a lot of people, um, but then there, you know, that there's a, maybe an activity component or a video comp- or something um, to to uh, for, the, for the few people out yeah, there who it wouldn't resonate with.
1: Yeah, I mean, we. Um, <clears throat> I have a man. I'm so sorry about this cough. It's frustrating me too. One second.
0: As long as you're alive, I, I, you know yeah. the the <clears throat> you're coughing. Alive means that you're alive and you're still here. Right. So we're happy. Can't, about get, that. Mad at, can't get mad at the rain. Um,
1: you know, it's, I, I'm, thank you for mentioning that because I, I don't tend to, I'm not like a super me promoter, but I have a, a business partner who, um, he kind of had this vision for, um, the marriage therapy journal online or the marriage therapy basically as a, as sort of a, exactly what you're describing a place where, there's more audio content or more video content or more, um, more ways to kind of collaborate or even like, um, exchange notes with other people who are going through either the journal or their own situation, but almost like a membership or a mastermind for people who really want to, um, accelerate their progress or their process. Um, so, um, I, sometimes I even forget that it exists, but the marriage therapy um, is collecting emails now for folks that are interested in um, being a part of something a little bit more, um, what would you call it? More in depth. So,
0: Yeah. Cause she, she's definitely like more of the extrovert. And, uh, and so like yeah. that's some, that's something that definitely she would have, she would have enjoyed more um, online and, and more of a uh, more interactive uh, way of, of getting the information. What, when when you when you, we you think about the quarantine right now and and besides empathy and and compassion uh, what other obstacles do you foresee coming up? i mean like you said, people are living together or uh, spending time with each other that they haven't- uh that, like they haven't done before you know it's it's gone from yeah. a few hours to now three hundred sixty five days uh you know uh, all day, every day, 24, seven. And what, what are some of the challenges that you think will come up for people that, that they're not probably not prepared for and how do they, uh, uh, work around that?
1: Yeah, I would. So over the last 10 days or so, this is the third time in my private practice that, um, I've had kind of the exact same thing. Like I'm having the exact same conversation with, uh, with clients, um, the first time was um, the morning after Russell Wilson threw that interception in the Super Bowl that cost him the Super Bowl, and uh, that the was at the end of two years in Seattle. Anyway, of what was really just Christmas. I mean, everybody was so happy all the time. Everybody was wearing their Seahawks jerseys. We were all crazy. We we're all on the same page. And then one day Santa just kind of died, right? And and then people were, were grieving and didn't quite understand what happened and. And then the second time was the morning after the election in 2016, which just for folks around here, it was really jarring and unexpected, and kind of they were riding this sort of Hillary high, and then the exact opposite happened, and people were, just didn't know where to, how to make space for that. And so for about a week or two, we were talking about the exact same thing. Yeah. How, what is, what the magic is, and it's, and it's this. <clears throat> In all three of those cases, and two of them were incidents that were germane to Seattle only. But in this case, in this third way, it's the it's the it's a time when we when we realize that there's a common enemy. There's something out there that's bigger than us. That's that's more more important than whether or not I loaded the dishwasher correctly, or more important than you know our work life balance challenges, or our disagreements about parenting, or even sometimes more important than the than the affair that brought us in here in the first place. Um, and so. When you have a common enemy, it becomes really critical, or it gives you an opportunity to turn into each other, right? Kind of. I don't want to say something as cheesy as like hold your loved one tight, loved one tight, loved ones tight, but that's kind of the that's kind of what we have to learn how to do right now is figure out like how do we not make this take this out on each other? How do we you know prioritize self care? How do we learn to to balance independence and interdependence? because you're right. I mean, couples aren't used to spending this much time together, and they need to find empathy and compassion in order to to sort of weather this new rhythm. Um, and we're all off balance. I mean, we're all off balance right now, and it's going to make it really hard to to feel like you've got solid ground underneath you. And so one of the challenges is going to be exactly that, right? Just to, to maintain some sense of balance it's insanity, whether that's make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you manage your diet correctly. Don't forget to exercise. Everybody's gym is closed, but you can still walk around the block or something as long as you don't walk too close to anybody, I guess. Um, the other, the other piece though, that I think is kind of, it's, it's top of mind for me. Um, but there are some people for whom being quarantined with their partner is terrifying um, because of, you know, domestic violence situation or just any, just abuse that exists in the home. And that, that is something that I think is gonna sneak up on us. Um, cause we're all worried about kind of ourselves right now, but this is, this is really challenging. We're like, especially challenging. It's kind of like the most terrifying thing for some people who are going to be, um, you know, essentially jailed with their jailer, <laughs> you know? Um, and, so that challenge, I don't know how to wrap my head around that exactly. I've been looking into like the YWCA and the National um, Domestic Violence Hotline just, seen, just to kind of see what resources are available because we need to look out for our neighbor in that way in particular, I think.
0: Absolutely. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, you know, I'm always thinking about, like you said, like the loading of the dishwasher, the snoring. Um Yeah uh, you know, somebody not showering and, you know, I have, I have a buddy of mine. He is, I don't think he showered and in since the coronavirus outbreak <laughs> started, he's like, well, I'm at home. Nobody knows. It doesn't, I'm
1: like, Oh man. yeah."
0: Um, but the, the whole domestic violence part is, uh, is very challenging because, you know, the, you know, the first thing you'd say is get out of there. And, uh, but then it's like, all right, get out of there and go where like nowhere is safe. Now, now the, uh, the world doesn't feel safe. Um, and and so yeah, how do you how do you manage that and uh, without walking on eggshells uh, and 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 grow from that?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, th- th- this. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know.
1: I've, I've been, I, it's been on my mind a lot for about a week and a half, and um, just trying to figure out. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't usually do that. Like, I don't usually care about stuff, which is a weird thing to say. But like, stuff doesn't like. Causes don't actually motivate me very often, you know. Um, but in this case, it's, I've been trying to figure out like, how do I play my part? Um, we have a, so on my podcast, Marriage Therapy Radio, we have a, um, my partner Laura and I, we wrote a, a course for couples about four years ago and that, that we have been trying to sell for years and years, never quite found our market until just this last week when we said, hey, we're going to, Make it available super cheap and free if you need it um, in order to support some of these places like the YWCA and the hotline. And um, and, so, and so it's been really cool to watch other people make a purchase um, and to know that, that that that's in some way that's them t- playing their own part to take care of their neighbor, right? Like, yes, they're getting their own product that they're going to use, but we, you know, we reduced it so that people could um, could help other people. You know, and if that's just just writing a check to the YWCA
0: or the hotline, then I'm happy to do it. You know, and I I think that's a way for if if you're at home alone during this time, a a way to get out of your head is to ask yourself, like, what can you do from your space to help other people? Because it's so easy to get wrapped up in in where we are and where we want to be and where we're not, that uh, we we forget that there are other people out there struggling that we can help and be of benefit to and, and and uh, that would give us a, a purpose uh, during these times uh, of, while we're quarantined, and not just and and don't don't let it stop there. You know, once the quarantine lifts, it's like find a way to continue to contribute to 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 the to people in the world outside of yourself. Uh, yeah, because that that really gives you uh, a, 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 a reason to get up in the morning and to keep going. I'm excited. I'm really excited to see. I mean, of course I'm excited to see what happens
1: when the quarantine lists, but like, it's going to be really cool to see what people like, what, what part of humanity emerges. Right. And, and I just happen, I just happen to believe in the good part, right. That we're going to see so much art get created and people filling comedy clubs again, and just really taking, um, taking an opportunity to treat each other with a little bit more kindness, man. I'm excited about it. You know, I, I'm bummed. I had a, I had a work trip actually this week down in, um, down in um, L.A. and I was going to go. I had tickets to the Comedy Store, which is one of my bucket list things. I'm, I was going to go on Thursday night, and um, I'm just like, I can't wait to, you know, get get there, get there. You know, I'm uh, I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited to see what happens. But have you ever, have you ever, um, you ever been at, performed at the Comedy Store?
0: Oh yeah, I have the Comedy Store and uh, the Laugh Factory, all all those L.A. comedy clubs. Um, I love it, and, and I I I'm like it. you, like I'm, I'm super excited also because. I I've already seen like I see more families and outside playing with each other. I see couples walking and and running together. I, um the people I've talked to are like getting in way more steps uh than usual. Yeah. Um I see yeah. kids playing. I I I haven't seen kids play in the street in a long time and now I see um and not like groups of kids but like you know just like uh the the the, the if they're family members, brothers and siblings. Uh, uh uh getting um uh playing out there in the streets. And so I I, I think that there of course like once it's all this we'll, we'll regress back close to the mean of being in front of our cell phones and, and isolating and yeah. whatever. But I, I think that, you know, it's like a, a t shirt. When you stretch it, it never it never goes back to its original form. And I and I think that uh yeah. live entertainment is gonna explode. Uh, like it did in the '80s, uh, with music and and comedy and, and and people outside barbecuing and getting to know your neighbors. Because yeah. one of the things that I'm doing is uh and is I'm going through my cell phone. I'm calling every single person in my cell phone. I'm I'm calling. I'm not texting. Oh, I cool. want to call. I have millions of people and I people I've forgotten about and that, and even if I don't remember who they are, I'm just like, hey, I got you on my cell phone. I'm just calling to say hi, check in on you and uh it just it you know i'm surprised at how many people i've forgotten and uh and then how many people who uh remember me and i'm like oh my god i can't believe i stopped talking to this person that's insane mm-hmm. um and then you know the amount of of gratitude that that you feel you just feels so much better than scrolling through facebook all day or you know uh worrying yourself about uh what's going on in the news cuz it's that's just a downward spiral yeah what yeah. that's a, you know, that's a cool idea. I dig it. it's a
1: cool idea I want to give to my kids, right? I, yeah. Like I'm like, hey, you have a cell phone, go c- call some people.
0: Yeah, you yeah. If you have all these people in your in your cell phone, you have you think about all the friends that you have on Facebook and social media that you really don't talk to because you know the social media algorithm is they promote whoever's the most popular or the most uh uh um uh uh Whoever like uh, gaslights the most, or yeah, Yeah, most influential, and so you don't really get to see all your friends. And if if you took the time, this is the time to to go through all your friends and reach out and connect with, and uh, and just say hi directly, not not posting on their wall, get into their DMs, say hello, leave, just say hey, I I was just thinking about you. Hope you're all right. This is the time to do it. Everybody's open. Everybody, you know, people. Want to connect?
1: Yeah, I I saw a joke the other day about somebody saying it's never been harder to get off the phone because you used to say, "Okay, well, I got to run." <laughs> but there's one no to run to. <laughs> like, where are you gonna go? What do you? Do?
0: Yeah, so so Zach, what what's your daily routine like now? That that's your home. Are you waking up at the same time? Me well, going question. to bed? Like, yeah. What's your daily now, routine? my um,
1: so Mary my younger daughter and I were both pretty night hourly so we've been just staying up late and sleeping in. Um, I but remarkably my client loads pretty consistent and I've shifted a lot to sort of online meetings which has been you know great for me and I think I actually think online therapy for couples can be really powerful. I just did a marathon session this weekend. I did 18 hours with a couple and they were um, in their living room. And what was really cool, I think, was that they they got to have this really healing experience inside their own four walls, right? It wasn't like they had to go somewhere and sit down and get some kind of magic formula and then try and see if they could take it back into their house. Um, so I actually, I actually think that was really good. A lot of therapists are debating kind of whether or not online therapy is the way to go or is helpful, but but man, I I... I'm fortunate in that I get to control my time pretty much. So right now I'm trying to just kind of connect with my kids and in ways that are important to them. So, um, Mary and I built this table and now we're, um, we just ordered a whole bunch of lumber and we're going to build some more stuff because why not? And then my other daughter, the performer, she's trying to generate and create things. And, um, uh, her name's Abby and she's trying to, you know, kind of figure out how to, how to, you know, make music or, or add value or she's um, just trying to generate. And so it's, I get to do that. And then Rebecca and I were, were going for little walks that we've never, that we haven't been going on. And, um, but yeah, I mean, my routine has always been mine to govern. Um, so it's not like I'm no longer, um, doing a 40 hour a week gig or I'm somehow trying to create a home office or something. I get to, I get to flex pretty well. It's, um, so I feel grateful about that.
0: Yeah. That, that's, that's, it sounds like everybody's pretty in, independent and, and interdependent, uh, in your household.
1: Yeah, we have a pretty good balance. Um, and you know, certainly, um, certainly it's challenging. Our house isn't very big, but, um, but it's, it's pretty peaceful. You know, we don't, none of us are very, um, uh, we're pretty, we're pretty, we have a pretty narrow band of kind of emotional expression. So it's not like we get super depressed or super angry or, um, I mean, occasionally maybe we'll have a dance party or something in the kitchen, but for the most part, it's a, it's just us kind of, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming.
0: Now, when you said eight, did you say 18 hour marathon session?
1: Yeah, over three days. So we did Friday night, then we had a half day uh, we had two sort of half day sessions on Saturday and then two sort of half day sessions on Sunday, um, totaling about 18 hours. Um, and, that yeah, it, it's it can be, it can be really exhausting, particularly if there's not a. But in this case, uh, let me let me put it this way: in this case, it wasn't terribly challenging because the couple was really motivated to work. Um, they are the three of us meshed really well together, um, and they were receptive to um, being, you know, kind of being wet clay for a couple of days. And they were in their own house, which I think made it a lot easier.
0: To be honest. Is that yeah, the first time you've done something like that?
1: No, I do it uh, maybe eight or nine times a year. Um, I don't really have the endurance to do it super duper often, but I I will do it um, when, <clears throat> particularly when a couple is, you know, highly motivated. Sometimes they come from out of town um, and they, you know, just a really, they don't, they don't want to. Uh, sort of string it out over a series of weeks. And so it can be really, really powerful. Um,
0: Wow. I didn't even know such a thing existed. But you know what? I can understand that working. Um, I had a a client of mine. She uh, was a CEO. And and every year the company sends all the the top execs to a weekend uh, leadership seminar where they lock them in a room. Uh, from sun up to sundown. They, they they can't use the bathroom. They get like a, maybe a lunch break or something like that for three days. And she said, you know, they, they all are bused in. And on the bus ride in, everyone is on their cell phones. Everybody, nobody's talking to each other. They're all work, work, work. She said, but on the bus ride out, no one is on their cell phone. And they're mm-hmm. all best friends and they're talking and um, it, it's just, a, the, the, level of connectivity, uh, increases, uh, tenfold. Uh, so I, I would imagine when you're in a type of a marathon session like that for three days, it, it, it kind of elicits the same type of response.
1: It can. Yeah, it definitely can. Um, and I enjoy it. I mean, in part because I get, I mean, I get paid a lot to do it. And so it's a, it's a, it's a nice sort of, um, it's a, it's a pleasant return on investment for me. Um, but I, again, I can't do it. I can't do it 12 times a year. I can't even, I and mean, I can't do it 365 days a year, or even 12 times a year. It's, it's, it requires a really good sort of, um, alchemy between the couple and the therapist to, to pull it off successfully.
0: Um, you know, at the beginning of this, uh, uh, episode, you talked about how you come home and, um, you know, you, you said like on Mondays you create space for yourself, and you know when I was looking at the the, the reasons why people get a divorce, it's you know lack of individual identity uh, becomes uh, one of them, and you know and I, and and I'm listening to like how independent your family is, and can is there are there other ways that people can kind of find their own uh, identity within a relationship? Because a lot of people do, I think get into a relationship with the idea that the other person will shape and mold them or that the relationship will save them and, and give them a a purpose. Are are there some other ways that people can take time to figure out who they are? Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of, uh, um,
1: self-help work. I think personal therapy is really, really important. I think just, um, I think that there's, there's gotta be something where people are allowed just to be different. Um, so one of the things that Rebecca and I, that makes it work for Rebecca and I is we're, we just are, we just kind of stopped trying to change the other, try to make them more like us. Um, which is cost, it's, it's, it costs something like it's a little bit of a bummer, but it, it means that we still get to, um, sort of be okay in our own skin. Cause I'm not trying to always conform to the skin that that she wants me to wear that. Um, and then with that permission, Oh, actually, you know what? The, the year that was really challenging for us, number eight was really painful, but number nine was really great. And then that was a year that we both kind of super committed to therapy and not everybody can afford therapy, but it was the year that things began to really shift for us in the sense that like taking time to get to know ourselves and our needs and learning to ask for what we wanted was really um was really a valuable skill to learn so are there other things people can do i think i think sure uh but for me they would kind of all fall into the category of put your oxygen mask on first right figure out what is what kind of air you need to be breathing in order to bring your best self to somebody else because um and man that could be a that could be an online mastermind group. That can be a regular happy hour with your friends. That could be, um, you know, personal therapy. It could be, you know, your, your running club. There, there's no shortage of resources out there. Again, like you said, um, this idea of live entertainment is going to blow up. I think right now people are getting extremely creative about ways to take care of one another and themselves. And um, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's right under your nose if you're if you're willing to look for it.
0: It's true, you know. During this time, I uh, and part of me feels a little guilty because, you know, we do have that that idea that I should be, I, I wake up and I should be attentive uh, to my partner. But uh, you know, I've I've been getting up and and working out and then meditating first thing in the morning. Um, yeah, meditation is great too. I mean, I, so I can't even believe
1: it.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do you meditate? I I I. I, I, the times, the amount of time I meditate changes from day to day. Right now I'm doing 20. Uh, but even if you just do five, just taking a little bit of time for yourself, but w- what's your meditation?
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm, uh, I go through phases. I'm not quite as regular as maybe I would like to be or that I could be, but, um, I, um, and I don't currently have a meditation practice, but it's, it's certainly on my list, you know? Um, and I, but I've gone through different, um, I don't want to call it eras, but different phases of my life, I've I've just I've, it's either been something I've done, uh, or more, more often than not, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I, I found it valuable.
0: What, um, now, so you said you you are Gottman certified, and so can you talk to us about what that uh, entails? Uh, what you know, what what what's the what what are the tenets of uh, Gottman therapy?
1: Yeah, so John, so John Gottman is kind of the world's kind of leading um, marriage research researcher, or like related. He spent about forty years um, studying couples, couples over a ton of different settings and a ton of different kinds of ways. And one of, one of the things that he was able to do was sort of correlate behavior that was consistent among couples that were divorcing and behaviors that were consistent among couples that were staying together. And then he kind of got famous for coining this phrase um, that he he became uh, famous for being able to predict divorce. So the media latched onto that and all of a sudden it was off and running. And because of that attention, he and his wife, Julie, created a methodology for training therapists to help couples quite simply avoid the things that uh, predict divorce and lean into the behaviors that predict, you know, relationship success. And so for me, I started training in that methodology and, you know, just like anything else, you go through sort of different levels. So level one, two, three, and then, um, you can choose to certify or not, which is when you have to demonstrate mastery, um, uh, through like, uh, clinical hours basically. and so I'm a certified gottman therapist. I think there's about 380 that have been certified over the course of the Institute's existence. Um, I'm number 199 that was my goal. I wanted to be in the first 200 so I was hustling really hard there at the end. Um, but um, but yeah, basically when when people want to <clears throat> get couples therapy and when when they are drawn to a scientific methodology, The Gottman method is really easy to, um, to sit people down and say, Hey, if you want your relationship to change, you got to stop doing this stuff. You got to start doing this stuff. And ideally what we're trying to do is figure out like, what are, what are they? So we'll like assess a couple and the assessment tells us like what they're already doing well, that maybe we don't have to work on. Right. Like, um, and what they're, already where their are areas of trouble are that, um, maybe aren't as important as those two areas over there. And then you just sort of surgically go in and help them, um, figure out how to make some of those changes. Um, a lot of Gottman therapists are, are very, very scientific and surgical in their, in their way that they use the method. I tend to be a little more open-handed. Um, I tend to play more, a little bit more detective than scientist, but, um, but it's, it's really helpful. And it's been really helpful for Rebecca and I, because, uh, at a at a minimum, it can give a couple um, like a shared language. Remember how I said it's really important for couples to have some sense of what they both want, and if they both want to protect the relationship from some of these toxic behaviors, then that that having a shared vocabulary, um, like like the Gottman method, can make that easier for them to, to navigate.
0: Um, you know, uh, uh, and that, that makes complete sense when, um, I'm backtracking a little bit, the, in terms of, uh, because you've been, you've been counseling married couples for over 12 years and I'm sure infidelity has come up a lot Mm -hmm. in relationships. Is it, does it, is the, the reason for infidelity different for the man and the woman generally, or is it the same for most marriages? And then how do people overcome that?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that there are lots of different what I would call profiles of infidelity, um, and the because sometimes your infidelity is you know you hooked up with a prostitute on the on a business trip to Las Vegas, and sometimes it's you fell in love with the stay at home dad at your school that you always saw at pick up and drop off, and you've had been having a illicit affair for three years, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, there's everything in between. What it what it always is is betrayal. Um and betrayal I'm sorry. I didn't say anything. Oh, say sorry. Um what it always is is betrayal. And um and that's really the issue, right? Like it doesn't almost even matter how it started or what happened or how it ended, it matters whether or not the couple can um find a sense of um sort of attunement and attachment. Uh, reattachment after the betrayal has occurred. And sometimes, frankly, the betrayal isn't, isn't infidelity. It could be financial betrayal. It could be, you know, um, it could be, it could be uh, you're an alcoholic or a workaholic. Those betrayals are, are similar. And we, um, we basically are trying to, f- when, when a couple comes in and they're and betrayal is the presenting issue, we're trying to f- figure out whether or not there's enough equity in the, in the relationship account to, Sort of reinvest, and that means that the that the harmed partner needs a certain kind of attention, and the, and even the involved partner needs a certain kind of attention um, in order to figure out whether or not a, attachment is possible again. Um, and it it's really hard because it comes you know it comes in different forms, and um, uh, and it really just depends on kind of the capacity for um, trust building that the. Uh, that the, that the harmed partner has.
0: Um, Uh, Zach, can I, can I, can I, uh, cut you off for a second? You know, I'm just realizing, uh, that there's a difference between infidelity and betrayal. Um, can, can you, I mean, and not that I I didn't know that, but I would have never have, uh, made that distinction. It was just something I just never thought about. Can you break down the difference between infidelity and betrayal? Because I think betrayal is something that is not in most people's vocabulary. It's either cheating or infidelity. Yeah, well, betrayal
1: is, yeah, betrayal is just the umbrella, right? It's just the big umbrella. Um, You had an expectation on, a a reasonable expectation for how the relationship was going to work and then somebody betrayed that expectation, betrayed you in that expectation. And sometimes they did it by cheating. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they do it by, you know, hooking up with a prostitute in Las Vegas or, you know, falling in love with the stay at home dad. And sometimes they do it by stashing away money for 10 years that you never do about. And sometimes they do it by, um, you know, um, decide staying at work longer than they, than they have to, cause they don't really want to be at home with you anymore. Um, and, but see infidelity itself is so bizarre in the sense of like, if I'm flirting with my, you know, college girlfriend on Facebook for a year, um, but I never, I didn't see her cause she lived in 10 States away and then, and we never had sex or anything like that's still betrayal. You know, if it's a secret, um, and sometimes the, you know what I mean? Like, so I think this is the hard part is people, people want it to be really clean. Um, and it's just, it's just not because there's tons of ways that you can be unfaithful. Um, and I think this is something that I think is it, fun for me to think about, which is, I, I hear people say all the time, particularly people who are in premarital therapy. Although one thing I won't do is, um, I won't tolerate cheating. Like I won't tolerate cheating. And I'm like, okay, all right. But, but you will, because uh, it's pretty, I mean, sometimes people just throw all the, the laundry out the window, but if they come into my office, it's because they want to learn how to tolerate this thing that they said that they wouldn't tolerate. Um, and the, what I like to remind people of is that we literature, religion, nature is full of stories about things that are stronger after they died and, and been resurrected than 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 things that are just like they are what they are and they stay that way and they're the strongest they're ever going to be. I mean, I think when couples choose to recover from betrayal, um, and they do it like in a in a sincere and sort of empathetic and compassionate way, um, the relationship that they end up with can often be quite a bit stronger than the relationship that they that they started, you know? Um realistically people stand up on the altar and they say things that they don't even know that they're saying like for better and for worse and in sickness and in health and return and poor. And we have no idea what it means to be sick. We have no idea what coronavirus is. We have no idea what bankruptcy is. We have no idea what, what's better and what's worse yet. We haven't experienced it, but when somebody, and then they say, I do, right. They say, I do, I'll do that stuff. And then somebody executes a betrayal or an infidelity. And that's essentially a saying, I don't, right? I used, to, I said I did, but now I don't. When two people can turn it back toward each other and say to themselves and to each other again, I do this time I do. And I actually know what I'm saying I do too. That can be really, really powerful and redemptive. And I, I think, um, that's where I don't really get all that stressed out or this is the wrong way to say it, but like infidelity doesn't impress me anymore. Affairs don't, I used to be like, oh, you know, cause it's like, oh, what? But, um, <laughs> but no, it's of course, of course we don't know what we're doing, you know. And and if you think about this, this is the thing that also blows my mind. If you think about all of the sex that you've ever consumed or seen in the media or in, you know, in the in the world, whether it's pornography or whether it's a you know, a, in the checkout line at the grocery store, a, a book cover or something, almost none of that is between a man a woman who are married to each other. Uh, almost 100% of the of the sex that's portrayed in the media is between two people who aren't married to each other. Wow, I never thought of uh, that. Sort of cultural ingraining. Yeah, there's something, I mean, we've been enculturated that sexy sex is sex between people who aren't married to each other. And so, of course, we're going to be like floating around in this sort of sexually ambiguous world. Um, And the prostitute's going to seem really enticing. And so is that cute dad who loves his kids so well at pick up and drop off. But, you know, he's probably he's probably a jerk, too, you know, but not to you. He won't be a jerk to you because, you know, you're you are each other's respite. from the hard work of a relationship,
0: frankly. Wow. I never thought about that that is I mean, insane you're absolutely think, right think just see if you can think of one example
1: of of a television show or of a movie or of a i mean certainly not in pornography any example of two people i mean there's Phil and Claire Dunphy right like we we walked in on their bedroom one time if you remember um, <laughs> but that's that's really that's really it as far as i can think of
0: oh my god that's hilarious Um, but you know I I love what you talk about uh you know now that you you brought up betrayal um because I I I had a friend of mine his wife cheated and he called me to ask what he should do and I I said you know listen man like I I saw this coming years ago I'm surprised it's just not happening because uh he, he he works a lot he's all he's never home and then when he is home he's He's, uh, you know, he's the guy, he pays the bills and, and takes care of the things, but emotionally not there. And I think that a lot of people, uh, there's so much weight on uh, sexual infidelity, but like emotional withdrawal is so big. Usually one person shuts down or just isn't available. And and that never yeah. really gets, uh, that that never really gets the, I don't want to say the respect it deserves, but... To me, that is usually a precursor for the infidelity. hundred um, percent, and yeah. that's why you have to you have to talk about it like as betrayal
1: because mm. most people are good people. They don't they don't walk through their life looking for ways to hurt their spouse. They don't walk through their life looking for ways to betray them. And when they do, something has come first. Something has come first. Something has come before that, like like your buddy's sort of workaholism, um, and his wife may have experienced that as betrayal, and that that was the point in time when they needed the intervention, not the point where she, um, you know, got caught or whatever it is. That's that's what's well down the road usually, isn't it? Absolutely, like you said, yeah. You've, you've seen it coming.
0: Yeah, because I'm like, there's just no way that, uh, you know, when you when you get married, it's because you want to be with that person, want to spend time with that person. And then inevitably, you know what happens. But I understand in this day and age, it's like you have to work two or three jobs and have all these different hustles just to keep the lights on and to raise your family and make sure they go to a good school and to be able to afford the vacations. But uh, we can't stay on that treadmill for so long that, uh, we forget to, to get off and reconnect and revisit and, and repair, uh, as you said earlier. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I think there's a,
1: there's a, there's a slippery slope that we need to be paying attention to well before we think we're even on it.
0: Um, having two kids and, uh, you said at you said the, the 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 trouble in your marriage happened at the eight year mark, and then you said the eighteen year mark. Yeah, about eight and eighteen. Yeah, uh, is that? Do you find that that's par for course? Because you know people talk about the seven year itch. Uh, I'm sure there's a standard deviation of a year or two uh, in there. Uh, do you find that that's like a, a a relationship pattern? I do. I mean, and it's not me that's found it. I mean, here's here's a piece of.
1: Quirky trivia or not quirky trivia, quirky um, data, which is this idea that fifty percent of couples get divorced is actually um, it's actually wrong. It's actually a lot lower than that. Um, but um, the piece of it that is interesting is that most couples who divorce divorce inside of seven years, um, and usually around year four, and that's often when there's a toddler. Um, so the the seven year itch piece is this um, is this piece of like, what is the, the journey you know, and do, does the, does the introduction of a child, um, cause you to turn away from one another? Um, and it often does because children needed a lot of attention, but the antidote is really to make sure that in, in those first few years, particularly in, in, in the times of rapid change and stress that you lean back into each other. Um, and that you you pr- continue to prioritize the friendship. And frankly, that's that's pretty much what happened to us. Like we had a, a toddler and both of us were kind of sliding into our own little world um, and ultimately kind of lost sight of each other, which which was at least that story of year eight. We, just, we actually – and it probably would have happened sooner, but we struggled to get pregnant. So um, we just didn't have our baby inside of that first four years.
0: You know a buddy of mine. He he's married, and his parents have been married and happily married. I, I've been around them at, at least seemingly happily married for like forty, fifty years. Um, and he said that you know, for as the husband, your job is to prioritize the wife, and then the wife prioritizes prioritizes the kid. And he's like, if you keep that circle cycle going, you'll be all right. But and 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 I think that a lot of times, like both parents try to make the kid the priority and then they forget about each other yeah um you know yeah and and it's tough zach uh is there anything that that we haven't talked about that is there stuff that you you're hearing out there experiencing uh seeing reading uh, about relationships and marriage and, and family that you just like oh my god if most people just did this or said this or or whatever. Uh, Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, if most people went uh, to Amazon and bought my book, it (laughs) would just solve everything. Um, No, I mean, there's, I mean, it's always, um, it's always changing, right? Everybody's always trying to figure out how to crack crack the code. And um, to me, I'm just kind of a slow and steady wins the race guy. Like you got to have the foundational things in place and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, um, and then, you know, go from there. Um, and speaking of, uh, I promised my kids a walk this afternoon. And so I got to go put one foot in front of the other with the, uh, with those guys.
0: I love it. Uh, Zach, go ahead and plug all your things.
1: Oh, let's see. Um. So the easiest way to stay in touch with my voice is through MarriageTherapyRadio.com. That's our weekly podcast with my teaching partner, Laura. We talk about these things constantly. Um, the book is Marriage Therapy Journal, which is at MarriageTherapyJournal.com. And it's also on Amazon. And if you're interested in kind of uh, kind of learning more, going through a deeper dive, we're going to be rolling out some um, – some, uh, what do you call it? Um, a sort of a membership kind of site. The other thing I would say is, if you, if it's appealing to you at all, to be mindful of these folks in kind of the domestic violence situation. We have a um, a course for couples that's at it's at forbetter.com or forbetter.us for f o r b e t t e r dot u s and the code I think is twenty. No, the code is covid c o v i d um, and so that'll give you like $200 off the course and we're funneling that money toward um, like the YWCA and the National Defense, Domestic Violence Hotline. So all of those things are are great. And um, and of course, you can email me. I'm Zach at ZachBiddle.com and I'm happy to interact with you, um, particularly as you're just trying to make your way through this quarantine time.
0: So Zach, I appreciate it. Uh, I always ask this of my guests at the very end. Uh, yeah. and and you're not on the hook for this uh as a professional we we understand everybody's uh, situation is different um but i always feel like there's one person listening in who is on the precipice of of ending their life uh before you kill yourself what would you say to that person
1: i would say what would i say i would say don't um you know, again, slow and steady wins the race. And there's, it's it's, somebody on that road that wants to reach out and be supportive to you. And that is, um, I think if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're going to find them. They're going to
0: show up for you. I love that. Zach, thank you so much. Thank you for listening in to another episode of before you kill yourself. Thank you for rating it five stars and sharing it. Sharing is caring. And if you need one-on-one coaching, Go to thrivewithleo.com, thrivewithleo.com. We will talk to you soon. Peace.